Last Sunday morning, we were looking at the first half of chapter 10 of John's Gospel and the encouraging things that Jesus said there about his being the good shepherd and of how he looks after his sheep. This morning, we're in the second half of John chapter 10, and even though things have moved on now in terms of time to the festival of dedication, still the image of sheep and shepherd is found in these verses that we're going to be looking at. And in fact, some of the most encouraging and reassuring verses for the believer are found in this part of the chapter. Have you ever wondered if you are secure in your Christian faith? Have you ever wondered if you might not make it into heaven? If some event or some hardship or some person might cause you to fall away? Well, listen out for what is said now in this second part of John chapter 10. And I'm going to begin this morning by reading through our passage. So this is verses 22 to 42. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered round him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good works, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and Scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own, And sent into the world. Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said, I am God's Son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. Let's pray again. Lord God, we do thank you for your word And we thank you that you speak to us through it. So please help us today to understand what this passage says and how it applies to our lives. Through Jesus Christ we ask it. Amen. So then let's look together in a bit more detail of what Jesus says here. And here's my first heading, verses 22 to 26. Some don't believe 
because they are not Jesus' sheep. Some don't believe because they're not his sheep. Verse 22 tells us that it's now the time of the festival of dedication. So, although the metaphor of sheep is continuing from the first part of the chapter, time's now moved on a bit. Back in chapter 7, it was the festival of dedication, sorry, festival of tabernacles. When we get to chapter 12 onwards, it'll be the festival of Passover. But right here, we have the festival of dedication, a celebration of the rededication of the temple after the desecration that took place under Antiochus Epiphanes. As a festival, it tended to be celebrated at the start of December, hence the comment at the end of verse 22 that it was winter. And verse 23, we're told that Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. So that was a covered area at the side of the temple court. And the discussion and debate is clearly continuing. Verse 24, the Jews who were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus has already spoken about his relationship to the Father. He's already used language of deity. And he's already made the statement, before Abraham was born, I am. At which the Jews had picked up stones to stone him. They knew months earlier that he was claiming to be God. But still, they don't feel Jesus has been entirely clear about whether he's the Messiah or not. Why are they asking? Is it because they want to become his disciples too? Well, probably not, given the reaction of the Jewish leaders to that very question when asked by the man who had been born blind. Jesus says something similar, verse 25. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. And there's the underlying problem. They're not going to believe because they're not Jesus' sheep. They don't belong to Jesus. They don't know or recognize his voice. And no matter what Jesus says or claims, they will not believe what he says. It requires a step of faith to see who Jesus is. It requires the work of the Holy Spirit to open our blind eyes that we might believe. And that, of course, is what we Our praying will happen for our loved ones who are not yet Christians, that God would draw them into Christ's flock. Jesus says, verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. In contrast to the Jews who are not his sheep, there are some Jews and some Gentiles who are his sheep. There are sheep who belong to him. And as we were thinking about last Sunday morning, Jesus knows them. Jesus' sheep know his voice. They follow him. They follow him out to the green pastures, to the quiet waters. And Jesus knows those who are his. He knows us. He is our good shepherd. Here's the next little section. Jesus' sheep cannot be snatched out of his hand. We cannot be snatched out of his hand. Verses 27 to 30. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. If you're worried and anxious about whether you're a good enough Christian, whether you've done enough to merit eternal life, whether Jesus will accept you, whether you're going to persevere to the end and not fall away, then these words are very reassuring because they remind us that our eternal security is not dependent on us. 
but on the Lord Jesus, our good shepherd. It is by grace that we are saved, through faith. And this is not of ourselves, not of our our works, but is the gift of God. Jesus loves you and wants you. Jesus knows his sheep. He knows us. He knows each and every one of us. He knows those who have listened to his voice, to his call, and are seeking to follow him. And he gives to his sheep eternal life. They shall never perish. It's a free gift of grace, not dependent on us or our works. And so Jesus proclaims, verse 28, that his sheep shall never perish, but have eternal life. The words of John 3.16 again. And then in verse 28, he says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. The image is of a, of a closed fist hanging on tightly, impossible to prize open. Do you remember uh, when you were a child trying to get something out of the hand of an older brother or sister, or, or even your mum or dad, you know, to loosen their grip? Maybe you managed to prise open a, a finger or something, but, but they were so much bigger and stronger than you, and there was no way you were going to loosen their grip. That's the image. There's no way Jesus is going to let go of any of his sheep. He's not going to loosen his grip. He's not going to be taken by surprise and, and have them snatched away. To continue the sheep analogy, a thief or wild animal is not going to be able to dash in, grab one, and run away with it. No, says Jesus, that is absolutely impossible. No one can snatch a sheep out of my hand. My sheep are so securely held that they can never perish. And he reiterates that eternal security again, verse 29. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus has told us that no one can snatch them out of his hand. Now he says no one can snatch him out of his father's hand. He and the father are one. They are united in purpose. They're united in determination to save lost sheep. There's no way that anyone or anything can steal a sheep, can steal a Christian away from their care and protection. The start of verse 29 is actually quite difficult to know how to translate, mainly because of different textual variations. That means that in the very old manuscripts and the early copies of the New Testament, there's a bit of variation. As indicated in the footnotes, the wording of some of the earliest Greek manuscripts would probably be best translated, what my Father has given me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. So that's placing the emphasis on the preciousness of the flock that the Father has given to the Son. You know, because his sheep are so precious, Jesus and the Father will never let us go. However, probably the best way to translate it is as the NIV and ESV have it. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hands. In other words, because of how great God the Father is, you know, how powerful he is, his total sovereignty, no one can snatch a Christian away from God's love, care, and protection. It reminds me of the words of Romans 8. Nothing absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, 
neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. There's absolutely nothing that can snatch us away from God's love. Not because of our ability or our own strength, but because of how great God is. it's, It's true that we are precious to God, but it's an even greater truth that the Father is so powerful that our eternal life is never in doubt. As one commentator puts it, our continuance in eternal life depends not on our feeble hold on Christ, but in His firm grip on us. The other point to emphasize just from verse 29 is that Jesus says that the Father has given us to the Son. God the Father has given us to God the Son as His sheep. We as Christians belong to Jesus because we've been given to Him by the Father. That's an idea that's repeated again and again in John. Chapter 6, 37, for instance, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. Verse 39, I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. And towards the end of the gospel in John chapter 17, the great high priestly prayer, Jesus repeatedly uses that phrase, those you have given me. Verse 6, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me. Verse 9, I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. And so on. Which, of course, is 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 touching on the whole area of election and predestination, God's sovereign choice over those who will belong to Christ. And while I believe that the Bible does indeed affirm free choice and human responsibility, I also believe that the Bible affirms God's choice and His giving of us as individuals to God the Son. You might remember a couple of years ago, Protestant Christians were celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, and they were remembering key figures like Luther and Calvin. Well, about a hundred years after the start of the Reformation, around 1615, there was a debate going on between the followers of Arminian teaching and the followers of Calvinist teaching over five key areas of Christian doctrine, which led to the formation of the five points of Calvinism that you might have heard of, popularly uh, remembered with an acronym TULIP. Not that these are the only key points of Reformed theology, but rather they were the disputed ones. And this section of John chapter 6 that we're currently looking at is often referred to in that ongoing debate because it touches on a number of those five points, particularly the second, unconditional election. The Father gives to the Son those whom He has chosen. And the fifth, perseverance of the saints. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Those who are genuinely sheep, given by the Father to the Son, cannot be snatched out of the hands of God. We cannot lose our salvation. We will persevere to the end. Clearly, there will be a range of different theological opinions in the room today, and I I don't want to get into a debate this morning about Calvinism and and free will Arminianism. And yet, I, I also don't want to lose the assurance that these verses here give to the Christian. I think verses 28 and 29 are genuinely saying that if we belong to Jesus, we will never perish. We will be given eternal life, and there is nothing that can stop that. 
That, of course, it, that, of course, doesn't mean that Christians never stumble and that, you know, that we never muck up or that we, we start heading our own way. There are, of course, lots of, of times that we doubt or even backslide. And we have biblical examples of people like, like Peter who feel miserably. We are in an ongoing spiritual battle against sin and temptation, against the world, the flesh, the devil. And failures are a reality for us as Christians, this side of heaven. But God doesn't give up on us. The Holy Spirit remains at work in our lives. Philippians 1.16 tells us that God who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. Philippians 2.13 tells us that God's work in us to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purposes. Romans 8.34 tells us that Christ Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for us. And the incredible words of Romans 8, verses 29 and 30, for those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. God has a plan, and He's not giving up on us. So what then about the person who was a Christian for a while and then fell away altogether? One Christian writer explains that those who once called themselves Christians and have now turned their back on Christ and are now trying to work against Christ so that there was no genuine saving faith to begin with. A so-called Christian who permanently falls away shows that there was no regenerating work of the Spirit in their life. R.C. Sproul, the author and theologian, explains that the old axiom in Reformed theology about the perseverance of the saints is this. If you have it, that is, if you have genuine faith and are in a state of saving grace, you will never lose it. If you lose it, you never had it. In other words, the ultimate proof that you and I have genuine saving faith is that we persevere to the end. There is no way that you will fall away if you have genuinely turned to Christ for salvation and are seeking to live with Him as Savior and Lord. Christ will keep you eternally. There is nothing that can snatch you out of His hand, verse 28, because you belong to Him. And the Holy Spirit will keep working within us to ensure that we make it to the end. That's what the Holy Spirit does. As another Christian writer puts it, a true child of God continues in the faith, not in order to hold on to his salvation, but as a fruit of the new life. We persevere because we are genuinely children of God. But there is a warning in all this against nominal faith and superficial belief. As we read in Matthew 7, not all who say, Lord, Lord, will be saved. Not everyone who appears to be a Christian genuinely is one. And so we are exhorted in the Bible to examine ourselves and see if we have genuinely taken hold of Christ. And New Testament books like Hebrews that we're looking at on Sunday evenings repeatedly exhort the reader to not give up on Christ, to press on, to take hold of the prize. And Paul's letters tell us to hold on to the true gospel, to not give up on sound teaching, to to not fall away from true faith. 
Is it possible for a genuine believer to lose their salvation? Well, no, it's not. Those who belong to Christ will persevere to the end. They cannot be snatched from His hand, as verse 28 makes clear. But is it possible for someone who appeared to be a Christian to turn out not to be a Christian? Well, yes, I believe it is. Over the years, I've talked to many people who have been worried about whether they are genuinely a Christian or not, whether they're going to get to heaven or not. And I've often suggested to such people that the very fact that they are worried about it and want to be with Jesus for eternity is perhaps proof of their love for him. They know their shepherd's voice, and they are desiring to follow Jesus. We're told in Romans 10, 13, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Jesus, in the second half of John 6, 37, says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. In one sense, it's not difficult to come to Christ. If you want to be in relationship with him, he will allow you to do so. And once you have simply but genuinely come to Him, you will not want to leave Him. The Holy Spirit changes our hearts and gives us the reassurance that we are God's children, making it impossible to leave. Then there is nothing that can separate us as Christians from God's love. There is nowhere we could go, no sin or failure that could permanently destroy that relationship. We will want to turn back to Christ again and again. And even if, we, even if we do wander off for a while, the good shepherd will not let us go too far. Yes, 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 we have a part to play as Christians. Yes, we have a responsibility to hold on and to, to respond to Christ's love. But in the end, our eternal security is not dependent on us. He will bring to completion the work he has started. No one, nothing, can snatch us out of God's hands. Praise God. Just very briefly, let me run through the rest of the chapter. Jesus' opponents wanted a plain statement of whether Jesus thought he was the Messiah or not. They got more than they asked for. Verse 30, Jesus declared, I and the Father are one which provoked quite a reaction. So verses 31 to 33 in my next heading, Jesus' opponents want to stone him for blasphemy. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good works, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. So they got the point of what he was saying, but rather than allow them to get on with throwing stones at him, Jesus tries to broaden their understanding, verses 34 to 36. And I think this is a sort of stretching of their minds, starting from something they agree on, Old Testament Scripture. Jesus tries to enlarge their understanding of what it means to be God. Jesus answered them, verse 34, Is it not written in your law, I have said, you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, so he's quoting Psalm 82, verse 6, and Scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said, I am God's son? So Jesus is not saying, it's okay, don't stone me. I was only meaning God with a small g. 
No, no, he's simply using Psalm 82 as a way to allow the Jewish opponents another chance to get their heads around what's going on. He's giving them another opportunity to respond to him in faith. The Father, verse 36, has set Jesus apart as his very own and has sent him into the world. Jesus is not a mere man claiming to be God, as the Jews suggest, verse 33, but rather he is God himself appearing as a mere man. If you can't get your heads around that, says Jesus, verses 37 to 39, take a look at my works. Jesus points his opponents to his works, verses 37 to 39, do not believe unless I do the works of my Father, but if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Jesus points to them to the miracles, the signs that John has recorded for us. He points to his teaching, to the way he's conducted himself. Am I living a godlike life and, and doing the works of God the Father? Even if you can't get your head around what I'm saying, let the, let the healing of the blind man convince you. Let the feeding of the 5,000 convince you. Or, or the walking on water. Or the healing of the, the invalid at the pool. Or the healing of the official son. Or let the turning of water into wine be a sign to you of the coming kingdom of God. Believe in the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. But they didn't believe him. Instead, they tried to seize him. They tried to arrest him or to take him somewhere else to stone him. But he escaped their grasp. Again, this idea that Jesus' time had not yet come. And then finally, verses 40 to 42, Jesus returns to the Jordan, verses 40 to 42. And I think John includes these verses as a way of drawing Jesus' public teaching ministry in Jerusalem to a close. Jesus withdraws now back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing. And it sort of forms a bookend to this section of John's gospel. John the Baptist is found at the start and at the end. Verse 40, then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. That's the contrast. In contrast to the Jews in Jerusalem who rejected him, rejected his teaching, and tried to stone him, In this place where John had humbly prepared the way, many believed in Jesus. They accepted John's testimony that Jesus was the Messiah, God's chosen one, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. An encouraging end to an otherwise disappointing response in the last few chapters. Let's pray as we finish. Father, there's been a lot here to think about this morning. It uh, saddens us to read of the Jewish leader's failure to recognize and accept your son. And yet we realize the truth of the situation, that, that some people belong to Jesus, 
and some that will be not. We pray for those known to us who are not yet Christians, asking that you would draw them to yourself. And we give you thanks that because of your grace and through the work of your Spirit that we ourselves have come to know you. We know the voice of the Good Shepherd and we're seeking to follow him. Please keep us close to yourself that we might not stray too far away. And thank you for the wonderful reassurance in this passage that nothing can separate us. Absolutely nothing can separate us from your love or steal us from your grasp. We are eternally secure when we trust in Christ. And we are so grateful for that. Amen.